Welcome to Bell Interrupted. Are you out of your damn mind? You get to drink from the fire hole! This is an embarrassment, a disgrace! What? What's the matter, kid? You got wax in your ears? Don't do it! You got Tammy and Parker! <laughs> Hello and welcome to Phone Erupted. This is the show where I get to do whatever I want while dealing with the constant antics of Smash. We can review movies, video games, and who knows what else. Episodes can be spooky, too oddly informative to downright stupid. I am your host, Phil Allen, and I do welcome you to the show. I was trying to speed through the intro there to see how fast I could do it. I think I could go faster. Hello and welcome to Phone Erupted, the show where I get to do whatever I want with the constant antics of Smash. Alright, anyway... Enough with the intro there. So, guys, what we have for today is uh, it's around Halloween time as I'm recording this. And you know the magic of podcasts. You can listen to this anytime. So it doesn't really matter what time of the year it's being recorded. But just for just for this, uh, for funsies, we are recording around Halloween. So I figured we should come up with some sort of a creepy mystery that we should investigate and see if, see if we can get to the bottom of it. So that's what we're going to do here today. And the mystery that I have picked out is a true crime mystery. So this really happened. Not based on a true story. It is the true story. We're going to get down and dirty with this. We are going to investigate the case. The mysterious demise of Charles Curtis Morgan. You may have heard about this one. You heard about this? You read about this, Kevin? This is one of the more famous uh, baffling mysteries. This is from 1977. This happened in Arizona. This was featured on a lot of different things. This has been on like 8 billion different YouTube uh, channels and and different podcasts. Everybody, everybody's touched base on this one. But I figured I wanted to as well because it really is one of the more interesting cases out there it's just there's so many things that don't add up there's so many intriguing angles that you're like huh it it almost sounds like someone's like just trying to throw you off in this and you'll understand what i mean once we get into it but again it's charles curtis morgan and uh yeah it was also on unsolved mysteries the classic show that we all knew and love from well at least from my childhood from the 90s you know the great song doom doom it's so good. Uh, I've featured that song a few times on the podcast. Anyway, I guess we should get into it. So Chuck Morgan, he was a 39-year-old successful businessman who was the president of his own escrow company. Oh, okay. Now, he was also a potential witness in a state land fraud case involving a known crime boss. Wait a minute. Whoa. So we went from just being a... A president of his escrow company to all of a sudden being a witness with a crime boss? (laughs) This guy might be into some shady stuff. Perhaps. We'll find out. On March 22nd, 1977, he left his Tucson, Arizona home to drive two of his daughters to school. After dropping them off, he vanished. Okay. Three days later, he arrived back home. So for three days, Charles was gone. I I would assume... They called the cops. They were probably freaking out. 
I know if I disappeared for three days, my family would be very concerned because I, basically people know where I am at all times. That would be super weird to be gone like that. According to his wife, Ruth, uh, when he arrived back, he was missing a shoe. He had a plastic handcuff around one ankle, and his hands were tied together with a plastic zip tie. That's uh, not exactly... I mean, I'm sure she was happy to see him, but then she was like, Oh my God, like you've been abducted, right? He could not speak, but with a pen and paper, he wrote down that he had been kidnapped and tortured. Oof, okay. That makes sense. Uh with all the, the zip ties and everything on the legs and hands that he was abducted but why can't he speak why does he have to write on a pen and paper let's find out he also wrote that he had been administered a hallucinogenic drug and it had been painted on his throat he claimed that this drug would drive him insane or kill him if he ingested it I I don't know what that could possibly be. I read a bunch of different websites and watched different videos and whatnot about this. I, nobody really knows exactly what this drug is painted on his throat. I'm going to assume that's on the inside of his throat. Um, because he says it would drive him insane if he ingested it. Why would you, if you painted it on the outside, like if it was like like LSD or something, right? I don't know. If you, like, painted that on your neck, I guess if you, like, rubbed your fingers and then put it in your mouth, you could get super wasted. But I don't understand, like, it had to have been on the inside. I don't, I just don't understand this claim. Sounds so strange to me immediately, this hallucinogenic drug painted on his throat. Inside or outside? I'm not sure. He asked his wife, Ruth, to move his car because he did not want, quotations, them, to know that he had returned home. However, he would not state who they were. He also told her not to call the police because a hit would be put out on the lives of them and their other family members. Well, that sounds shady. He's talking about, I mean, right in the beginning we said that there was some sort of a crime boss... Uh, thing going on, so he might have been into some shady stuff. And uh, he was definitely scared, obviously. But he wouldn't tell her who it was. Okay. So for one week, Ruth nursed Chuck back to help by feeding him with an eyedropper. Like, I have to stop after every sentence because none of this makes sense. So is she feeding him with an what is she feeding with an eyedropper? First off, what the all liquid diet here? She's feeding with an eyedropper. Who feeds anybody with an eyedropper? And then is she feeding him with an eyedropper so that the hallucinogenic drug doesn't accidentally like come off his throat and then he ingests it and kill him? Like I don't that's such a bizarre like, they just brush over that. Feeding him with an eyedropper. Like, that's a normal thing to do. Alright, so she's continuing to feed him. Before his voice returned, he began to allude to a secret identity. So I guess he was writing this down on the pen and paper still. He claimed that he worked as an agent for the federal government, and he fought against organized crime. He also claimed that they had taken his treasury identification. So does he work for, like, the 
the treasury department or something? What a strange double life to claim. I don't know. That sounds shady to me. And I, I believe, if, if I'm correct in this, that nobody ever really verified that because you would think that would be something could pretty easily be traced. I mean, if you're working for the government, there's got to be files and whatever. Even if you were undercover, somebody would know and be able to verify this, right? I don't think anybody ever did. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that that was probably a tall tale by Charles. Uh, maybe trying to, you know, kind of like do like a white lie, like he was busted, you know, in some sort of trouble. And he just wanted his wife to think that he was a good guy instead of maybe being a shady character, perhaps. That's where I'm going to go with that, that guess. Um, so let's see what else we got here. After his kidnapping, Chuck became justifiably paranoid. He began wearing a bulletproof vest, and he started driving his daughters to and from school. He won't take any chances. He informed the school that nobody else should be allowed to pick them up, which makes sense because, yo, know, I guess this was in the 70s. Nobody gave a shit in the 70s. What happened? Like... Anybody can grab the kids, even like kindergartners. Nobody cared. This day and age, you got to be like on a list and everything, or else, you know, schools just be giving kids away to strangers. Can't do that. Stranger danger. Two months after his initial disappearance, oh man, Chuck vanished again. He's gone. Back for two months. He's all paranoid and he's gone. Shortly before his second disappearance, he told his father that if anything were to happen to him, there was a letter that he had written that would tell them who was responsible. The letter was never found. However, nine days later, an unidentified woman called his wife, Ruth, and said, Chuck is all right. Esclesiastics 12, 1 through 8. Oh man, I cannot pronounce that at all. Uh, this is a reference to a Bible passage, right? So this woman says, Chuck is all right. And then she says this Bible passage. And uh, what the actual uh, Bible passage reads is, Men are afraid of a high place and of tares on the road. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. She didn't actually read that whole, um, obviously, she didn't read that whole part there, that whole paragraph, but that was the passage. So she only said those two things, and then I guess hung up the phone, which is, yeah, I would be freaking out at this point. You already vanished once, this is your second time disappearing, hey, he's being shady, he's acting shady, something is going on here more than he's telling Ruth. I think we can probably all agree on that. And this weirdo calls and leaves this super short message. I would freak out about this for sure. I believe this woman also had a, a nickname called like Green Eyes or something like that. Which is also very strange. It's a, such a strange case. So many weird things going on here. Two days later, Chuck was found shot to death in the desert despite the fact that he was wearing a bulletproof vest. Oh man. So he uh, he didn't make it this time. Now, it is, seems a bit bizarre. He had been shot once in the back of the head with a bullet from a three fifty seven Magnum, which was lying beside him. And I believe that was also his gun. It was his own gun. So wait a minute, this is confusing. Why, why does he have a bulletproof vest on if he was shot in the back of the head? 
because they suspected suicide, I believe. I don't, that seems a little difficult to do. It doesn't make sense to have a bulletproof vest on if you're going to shoot yourself, right? So that sounds like somebody kill him, I would think. In his car, police found a note that had directions to the crime scene written in his handwriting. And a pair of sunglasses were also found that did not belong to him. I've read a lot of conflicting things about the sunglasses. How do they know for sure that they didn't belong to him? They're like positive they didn't. I suppose he could have maybe bought a pair. This is the 70s. They didn't have cameras in all the different stores. They didn't necessarily they didn't have, you know, the debit cards and things like that. He what why couldn't he have just gone to like anywhere and bought a pair of sunglasses that people didn't know about? But they act like it's such a major part of this case. The sunglasses did not belong to Charles. Um strangely Chuck had clipped a $2 bill inside his underwear. That does that is strange. That's not something I think you would normally do. Written on the bill were seven Spanish names from the letters A to G. Now, I have heard people stating that they believe these names were cops in the region, in Arizona. And I think a lot of them were of Spanish descent. I forget the actual names, but it was A to G. And they look like last names. People were saying maybe these were cops that were maybe bought off that were part of this shady underground escrow business he was doing. Like perhaps he was doing like money laundering for crime bosses and stuff. And then maybe these cops were dirty cops that were in on it, that were getting paid. I don't know. I've heard something to that extent. I don't know how much of if that is just speculation or if there really was truth to it. I find it amazing. It's a $2 bill. Those things are very hard to find. Where does he get the... the any bill uh, clipped to your underwear is strange, but a $2 bill, someone had to, you know, really put in some serious effort to find that. I don't know if that has any importance that it's a $2 bill. I doubt it, but still shows them... Killer showed a lot of effort. Proud of, proud of the effort he put in. Well, this is weird, too. Also on the $2 bill was that passage that I can't read, Ecclesiastes 12, was written on it with the verses 1 through 8 marked by arrows drawn on the bill's serial number. Okay, so I've seen a picture of this. You know how there's like the number? If you look at any kind of like a dollar, you'll notice that there's all sorts of weird like drawings obviously on it, and then there's like a serial number, but you don't even really think of it. You don't even notice it. It's right there though. And this person had drawn the verses, like arrows to him and stuff like that, of one through eight, which is weird because that's the same thing. That that woman who called and said that Chuck is safe, and then she said that passage number. And it's also on the $2 bill. That is, it cannot just be coincidence. Somebody for sure uh, is connected in this somehow. Who knows how, but they are. Obviously, this was the same reference that the female caller had made to Ruth. On the back of the bill, the signers of the Declaration of Independence were numbered 1 through 7. Also, there was a crude map drawn, which showed several roads between Tucson and the Mexican border. Uh, Somebody's having a lot of fun with this dollar bill. Drawing all sorts of fun stuff all over it, like all sorts of weird codes on it. 
the towns Robles Junction and Sasabe, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, were marked. These towns are apparently known for smuggling. I'm going to assume that's drug smuggling near the border of Arizona. Uh, two days after Chuck's death, an anonymous woman spoke to a police officer for the Pima County Sheriff's Department on the telephone. She claimed that Charles was supposed to meet her at a local motel shortly before he died. She claimed that her nickname was Green Eyes. Uh, this, is, this is what happened, yeah. And that she was the same woman that had called Ruth several days earlier. All right, so that's why I was jumping ahead of myself there before. The woman that called said Chuck's okay and is now calling the cops is, is Green Eyes, which is such a secretive undercover name. Well, this Green Eyes claimed that while they were at the motel, Chuck showed her a briefcase containing several thousand dollars in cash. He said that the money would buy him out of a gang contract that had been put on his life. Surprisingly, despite the bizarre evidence, authorities ruled that Morgan committed suicide. Suicide? With a bulletproof vest on? And a $2 bill strapped to your underwear? I don't know. I don't think so. How did they not track down this green eyes? Just going back to that. This woman obviously knows stuff. Why did he meet her in a hotel to show her that he had money? This is so bizarre. Who is she? I don't think they ever found out. Uh, they So they say it's a suicide. Sounds shady to me. Uh, so Charles Morgan's family and a reporter named Don Duveray. I don't know how to pronounce that either. They obviously believe that he was murdered. I mean, it makes sense. Some investigators also suspect that his death was not a suicide. Okay. Right. Three weeks after his death, two men claiming to be FBI agents arrived at the Morgan home. Now, this is pretty nuts. So these guys come in. They flash their badges, I'm sure, something like that. Say, we're from the FBI. And, you know, his wife assumes they're investigating what she believes to be as a murder of her husband. So she lets him in. I get it. And these dudes go around the house, and they, based, from all accounts, they pretty much wreck the place. They're opening drawers, they're dumping stuff out, like, being pretty rude, which I don't think FBI people would be that rude, um, especially while she's still in the house. Like, you would think they would probably tell her to leave, you know, like, we got a, we got a warrant, we need to, you know, see if there's some bad stuff going on here, we gotta check your whole house out. It's pretty crazy. So they told her they had to look through the house. They tore the house apart and searched for a while. It is unknown whether they ever found anything or if they were even FBI agents, which is basically what I was alluding to. When they contacted the FBI, they claimed that they had never even heard of Chuck Morgan. So sounds to me like some mobsters or whoever they are put on some, you know, a suit, tie, some fake credentials, something, and told this grieving widow, we need to investigate your house. And I think they were probably, now maybe they were looking for some sort of documentation that maybe Charles had that they didn't want him, you know, they didn't want to get out. Some sort of a duplicate paperwork of uh, shady deals, perhaps, or something like that, that could incriminate them or their boss, and they didn't want him to, you know, possibly have these be found at a later time. 
so the FBI had never heard of him. That's not good. Now, there are several rumors surrounding this case. One of them includes that Chuck was killed because he was involved in illegal activity or was doing secret work for the government. His death seems just as unexplained as the events leading up to it. That I can agree with. So, let's take a step back. Charles said that he was working against organized crime. Remember he told his wife that he was a, a treasury department? He they was missing his identification? Somebody stole it? Oh, excuse me. Some people believe that he actually was involved with organized crime or the treasury department. During the 1970s, Tucson, Arizona, along with other cities in Arizona, became a place that the mafia moved to. It was due to its warm climate and its controversial criminal justice system. Led by former New York Don Joseph Bananio, Bananio, but banana, more than 500 racketeers moved to Tucson during the 1970s. Their influence led to several gangland-style killings in the area, one of the more famous being the murder of the investigative reporter Don Boyles. So we can see it's becoming a bit of a, a crime beacon for a little while here in the 70s. What made Arizona most attractive to the crime syndicates was a unique state law that allowed them to buy land through a numbered blind trust account system. This would allow them to remain anonymous and successfully launder money. Uh-huh. Chuck did real estate escrow work for at least one mafia family. I guess that's been confirmed. Oh boy, here we go. They may have used him to do escrow work for purchases of gold bullion. Has anyone ever heard of that? B-U-L-L-I-O-N, bullion, and platinum. Obviously, it's got to be some sort of like a precious metal or something, right? Because it says gold bullion. If I had done some proper research, I would have understood what that is. But eh, whatever. So this was a more convenient way for these uh, shady dudes to launder the money, right? So starting in 1973, it appeared as though Chuck was doing several million dollars of escrow work in bullion and platinum. Now, in reality... There was no bullion or platinum. So obviously the money was being moved through several escrow accounts and legitimized. What is going on here? This is confusing. Have you ever watched the show Ozark? If you haven't, you should. Uh, it is a really good show. But there is a lot of money laundering going on in that show. And they do it in all sorts of creative ways. So I guess what they're trying to say here, if I'm following this, is through his escrow work... He is finding ways to launder this money, essentially, for these crime syndicates, right? That makes sense to me. So, on one occasion, Chuck mentioned to Ruth that money laundering was occurring in Tucson. However, he claimed that he was not involved in it. Alright, so again, it goes back to the fact that he said, Hey, I'm in the Treasury Department. I'm fighting against organized crime. By the way, there is money laundering going on, honey, but I don't have anything to do with it. I don't know, Chuck. I don't know. It sounds like you were actually probably involved. He also states that the less that she and the children knew about his activities, the better it would be for them. Okay, just check off another box there for probably sounding involved. It is theorized that Chuck Morgan was killed by members of an organized crime family in the Tucson, Arizona area. 
It is possible that the mafia family that he had worked for had him killed because he knew too much, right? Okay, that's, we thought about that before. One theory is that the organized crime bosses put the word out that they wanted Chuck dead. A hitman then told Chuck, so he came up with the money in order to buy off the hitman. However, when the two men met in the desert, the hitman killed him anyway and took the money. This theory has never been confirmed. It's not a bad idea. If that green eyes phone call is to be trusted, whoever that was, then yes, I suppose the money could have been stolen by the hitman. I... I think it's a theory that you at least have to keep out in the open. So it's like kind of like you draw like a big like a table in front of you and you draw a diagram of potential ideas, speculation, right? Theories. I think you kind of have to leave that one open. There's really no way to uh, obviously confirm it, they said here, or really deny it. So it at least has to be like an option on your table here. Now, this case was originally aired on February 7th. 1990 on uh, Unsolved Mysteries. After the case aired, Unsolved Mysteries received several phone calls relating to Chuck's death. Always get some help from that, you know? Don Duvera, or whatever, investigated several leads that came up as a result of the television program. He learned that Chuck was heavily involved in money laundering activities through his Tucson escrow company. I knew it. I knew it. Now, from 1973 to his death in 1977, he was also involved in large gold and platinum transactions. But members said they didn't exist before. Hmm. He apparently received a large amount of money from these activities, and some of this money allegedly came from Southeast Asia. What? Uh, now we're dealing with Thailand and Bangkok? All the way down in Southeast Asia, all of a sudden, huh? How did that happen? Laos? Down in Vietnam? Philippines? I don't know. I don't know. That's all it says. Southeast Asia. They had a real bad, uh... You remember the uh, Indonesia tsunami in 2004? This is totally off topic, but... That was bad, man. I was just reading about that the other night. I love tsunami stuff. I always read about that one. They killed, killed like 227,000 people. That's unbelievable amount of people to get destroyed in a giant wave, right? That's absurd. All those poor people. And then I always like to read about the one from 2011 in Japan. Also really bad. Killed like 25,000 plus people. Absurd. The idea of just a giant wall of water, like a river, just rushing inland fascinates me. It scares me. It's crazy. And uh, I guess apparently just seeing the word Southeast Asia made me think of a tsunami. So I'm done talking about the tsunamis now. Let's get back to our case. Duvero discovered that Chuck kept duplicate records of illicit transactions. I knew it. That is why those people went through and ripped apart his house. I knew it. Duvero now believes that Chuck was killed because he still had these records. And I'm going to bet you they were probably at his house, or at least they thought they were. Three months after the broadcast of Unsolved Mysteries, Doug Johnson, who the heck's Doug, Doug Johnson, was found shot to death in his car outside of his Phoenix office. Interestingly, he worked across the street from Duvero's office and drove an almost identical car. 
Devereaux now believes that he was supposed to be killed instead of Doug. <gasps> so, these crime people said, oh, this guy's digging. Ah, oh, this Unsolved Mysteries show. People are digging too much. This guy's causing me problems. Devereaux, let's get rid of him. And they accidentally killed some guy who they thought was him. Oh, man. This is crazy. Uh, so that's what he believes. And uh, a year after Doug's murder, Devereaux was again contacted by a writer from D.C. named Danny Colosero. Now, he agreed to share with him the information that he had uncovered about Truck's illegal gold transactions, etc. However, Danny died suspiciously before he received the information. All three cases remain unsolved. So, that's a bit bizarre because... Um, this Duvero guy... If I was him, I'd probably just quietly walk away from this case, right? Seems like two people very close to him have been silenced. I don't not I mean maybe they meant to kill him the one time they killed this other Doug dude. But it sounds like you might want to might want to take a step back from this case. A little too close to home. Everyone involved keeps getting killed except you. That would probably freak me out. So, what is our what is our theory here, guys? What's your theory? Send me an email at filmerupted at gmail.com immediately. Right now, I'm waiting. All right, I haven't got anything. Yeah, send me a theory, what you think it is. I'm, I kind of, you know, made reference to it before. I, I just don't think that if somebody wanted to commit suicide, they would go to these great lengths to do it. It doesn't really add up to me. Like, was he insane? Like, did he have some sort of a psychotic break and he staged all of this stuff to make it look like he was in this, like, super involved life? He had this double life that nobody knew about. Could he have gone to those great lengths to do that? I suppose uh, there's a, a case that I did earlier a while ago, previous episode. I think it's called Cindy James episode, if I remember correctly. She was a nurse. And it almost looked like she staged her own death. Like, curiously. Like, why anybody would do that. But if, I guess, if you're having, you know, mental issues, perhaps this is something that you could go through with. Maybe Chuck Morgan had something going on upstairs that people didn't seem to know about. This, These ideas of Grandiose being in the secret treasury department undercover agent fighting against the crime syndicates. I don't know. And to make it look like he was living this amazing, crazy life, he disappeared for a few days that first time and came up with that crazy story about the the hallucinogenic drug on his throat and the zip ties on him. He was a little roughed up. It's possible. And then two months later, he decides, oh, man, I really need to get notoriety and I'm going to off myself by shooting myself somehow in the back of the head uh, while I have a bulletproof vest on and all this strange cryptic coding on the $2 bill that is clipped to his underwear. It's so weird, right? Now, I also believe that I read somewhere, I don't think it said it in that article, that there were no fingerprints on the gun. I mean, it didn't say anything about him wearing gloves. So if he wasn't wearing gloves and he shot himself, you gotta figure that the fingerprints are gonna be on the gun. Right? Basic cop 
uh, 101 investigation, you would assume that if there's no fingerprints on the gun, probably didn't shoot himself. Okay. Uh, I, the other thing I just said it was out in the middle of the desert. They left a lot of things uh, not answered. Like, was there multiple car tracks? Was there multiple footprints? Uh, maybe they just didn't find that stuff, but none of that stuff is discussed. I think I'd like to know more about that. So, again, he, he was I think he was probably shot. Uh, I don't think he committed suicide. So I'm probably going to rule out the psychotic break idea, although that would be pretty freaking amazing if he did. It would be pretty intense to go the full distance to do that. But being as... He talked about how there's the people after him. Didn't his wife to know anything. I think. I think. As that the investigator, Duvrault, 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 however you say his name, get the lotion, that he found that he was money laundering all kinds of stuff. So I think he got in a little over his head. It may have been one of those things like Ozark where you do... You figure, oh, I'm just going to do this once or twice, right? You know, just money laundering. I know this is wrong, but I, you know, I can get away with it. I can do this, make some nice cash, and I'll be done. I'll be done. Well, he's basically sold himself to these people at this point, and maybe, you know, starts to he gets stuck in. He can't seem to get out. Just to keep doing it. Maybe he liked it, you know? He's like, I'm making money. This is awesome. And got in a little too deep. Somehow, somebody turned on him. Or something fell out of favor. I'm not exactly sure what happened. Maybe they found out he had duplicates or he tried to blackmail him. I mean, there's so much we don't know. It's like all you do is speculate in this case because there's the details are so minimal. And the ones that are there, these bizarre Bible passages and green eyes calling and the names of the cops on it and the little diagrams on the dollar bill, the $2 bill, it's all like nonsensical. Like it's, it almost feels like somebody. I had uh, said it in the very, very beginning of the episode. It almost feels like somebody purposely planted clues to throw you off. You know, like, oh, let's draw this fun little diagram on this $2 bill and write these names. Because they'll spend a lot of time, the investigators, trying to figure out what this is and investigating. And it's, you know, it's absolutely nothing. It's just to throw them off the scent. It almost seems like, like it's something like that. But then again, I stop and I think, you know, like a crime, like a mafia family, I don't really think they would go to that length. At least that's not my experience when I see them in movies. Because <laughs> when I see them in movies, they put a hit out on somebody and then they go shoot them. Like when they get out of a car or like Godfather, they shoot them in a restaurant or something. They blow them away and they get out of there. Sometimes they take the cannoli, sometimes they don't. I don't know. But just seems to me like that would be an awful lot of work for a hitman to do all that extra stuff so why is it there because i don't think they would i don't what the hell is going on here i don't i don't know i've never been able to come up with a, i guess a really good theory and right now i'm getting i'm like brain farting i'm getting stumped thinking about it no he was obviously deep into it. He was lying to everybody, trying to sugarcoat it, saying, no, I'm actually on the good side, when he wasn't. Got in, again, too deep, and something happened. He had to be eliminated. They killed him. 
They put a lot of weird clues to throw off the scent, even though I don't think they would do that. And then, I don't know, maybe the cops were part of it? Do you think the cops, some of these cops were paid off to just rule it as a suicide and be done with it? Because that seems like really lazy police work to think that that's a suicide. It really does. Just sitting here, you know, what is this, 40 plus years on, I've concluded that it's probably not a suicide. So, unless they had details that we don't know about and have never been uh, released, I guess there really is no way to know. So, (sighs) I don't know, I'm throwing my hands up in the air here, like I just don't care. I don't know. I don't know what happened to Charles Morgan. I would like to know. I think there's more than meets the eye to this story. I think there's a lot of things we don't know. And if the case is that old, I don't think we probably ever will know. I think most people who are involved are either gone or just shut up by now, aren't going to say a word. Unfortunately, uh, Charles' uh, wife, Ruth, passed away. I think it was in 2006, so... You know, she's not going to continuously push the police department for more answers. And it seems like this is probably one of those that's just going to go down as a mystery. For whatever reason, the proper pieces never fell into place for the case to be solved conclusively. There's always going to be this uh, this room for error, the speculation of what what exactly like happened. And I don't think we'll ever know. And I think it's always going to be a mystery. And it's always going to, it's always going to bother me because I want to know what happened to this guy. He's probably a little shady, but still, for all this to happen, just it's baffling. It baffles my mind, guys. If you guys do have a good theory or anything else, you can always send me an email at felinterrupted at gmail.com. Love to hear from you, guys. Man, the Charles Morgan case—it's confusing. It's baffling. I'm stumped. I'm sitting here like with my my hand on my chin i just i don't know i don't know what else to add i don't there's got to be more theories i haven't thought of right i don't know what happened to this dude i don't think anybody does but i do know what's going to happen we're going to end the show guys thanks for tuning in we're making moves here on film erupted and we will catch you next time peace out He also told her not to call the police because a hit would be put out on the lives of them and their other family members. Well, that sounds shady.